This is Mom Squad Pod, your weekly update on tips, tricks, and all things parenting with Maureen Kyle.
in school, I all already know what I'll be with because I know how he is. He's a former football player. He's a coach. He's very successful, and he, you know, he's on security at our church. And so I know he is going to run to the action to try to save the kids. I know that, and you know, I said, man, it, it, I didn't know I was signing up for that when he switched careers to become a teacher. But this is the dream I'm I'm working on, and I'm. I'm really trying to process too that right now. It's it's sickening. It makes everybody so pitiless on it. This will be most on social media of people posting and saying just sickening people. I feel ill about what's happening. And the other reaction that I think we've all had is going to what you know of your child's school um, or if you don't have a child in school, maybe your favorite grocery store or your restaurant, your church. Like, okay, so wait, where are the lactators? What are the safety protocols that they have in place? Where would I run to? And I, it, it's really sad because I have sat there in church and thought, okay, if somebody came in from the back, what would I do? Would I, would I have the kids crawl on the floor and run to that exit? I even went to dinner with a friend recently, and in the middle of dinner, she thought she said it out loud. I wasn't, you know, we were very casually eating. We're we're laughing and we're talking, and I could see a look on her face. And she goes, "Don't you think about like where the exits are in your mm. next crowd like this?" And I thought, "No, I didn't." I, at that moment, I wasn't thinking about where I am in relation to an exit. But she thought that, and I think a lot of us, especially as the latest events have popped up have now looked around our surroundings. And so whenever these mass shootings happen, you look around and you go, what I okay, what if it happens here and right now? But or you now have to have conversations with your children, with your spouses about if we are in this situation, mm -hmm. what are we going to do? And unfortunately, I had to have the conversation with both of my children. NBC, they reported about a young lady who was in the classroom mm -hmm. and saw all of her friends and, and teachers get shot and die, but she survived, and how she survived was she took blood mm -hmm. and put it on herself and pretended to be dead. And I, I, I cannot imagine, my children are 14 and 11, and I had to say, if you were in that situation, I hate how we're talking about this, but if you're stuck and you can't get out of that classroom and they're in there, what would you do? And then I had to share with her what this person did to survive. And it just felt so wrong to have to have that conversation. But both parents, they didn't believe that that would happen when they dropped their kids mm -hmm. off to school that day. And so that girl is alive, but all the trauma that she has, but she's alive because she had some quick thinking of what to do to try to stop and help her. It's need to talk to someone throughout the week that could bring it into our fabric um, and throughout the week on this side. But um, I did want to talk to a safety issue because I feel like parents, um, you know, kids, it's, it's too heavy of a topic for certain age kids. Um, other kids, you're having that conversation, but you can't have a full conversation sometimes. Maybe some of the times it's very sad, but we have to be the ones who advocate. And un until we see what legislators do, we're the ones who have to stand up and say, excuse me, school district, what is your plan in place? Where are the safety 
the resource officer, Jared Lockjoy. So I had a chance to talk to Tim Grimaud. He's known nationwide as a security expert. He owns a consulting company, Fast Consulting. And here's what he had to say. Here's our conversation about three safety issues that he's come across. So Tim, when you see the latest shooting that happened in Texas, um, a lot of parents will want to ask, can this happen here? I think we all ask, parents, grandparents, anybody who's a caregiver asks, can that happen in my community? So when we're looking at all the safety protocols that are in place at this point, what should we really be looking at as parents, talking to school boards? What should school boards be looking at in terms of, am I adequately protected? What do you think is the most effective? Yeah, when you're talking about schools and, and education facilities, uh, you really want to look at the people flow. And that is, how do people get in and out of the building? How many different entrance and exits are there? And are those entrance and exits locked, monitored, and controlled? It all comes down to people flow. It all comes down to, secondly, how easy or easily is it to get into an educational facility? Or is there protocol that prevents a person from just walking in a education facility? And what happens when that person initially makes contact with any door or entrance into the facility? Do they get into the center of the building or are they restricted? Are there cameras, intercom? Is there a uh, area where you are basically, as a visitor, trapped and not permitted to come any further into the building until you've had clearance to come into that building. So it all comes down to really controlling the flow of people in that facility. So a locked door, just a locked door, that's not enough? Just a locked door, it, it definitely helps, but you can't just have a locked door. Uh, you know, what, what happens once they're past that first initial door that is either locked or unlocked? How do you control once that happens? So that becomes important. Secondary, you know, what type of cameras and systems and security systems do you have in, in that facility? So it really comes down to secured facilities, physically secured. It all starts with a major physical security analysis that reveals your strengths, your weaknesses, your uh, initial and your long-term improvements to make the school a total secured building and you on the inside control what comes in from the outside. I went to school, I went to college in the Bronx Fordham University and across the street was a high school with metal detectors and back then that was unheard of like I didn't go to high school with metal detectors but do you think we're moving in that direction where there would be a metal detector and a security guard I mean there there are Cleveland schools when I go in and out of CMSD schools that they have metal detectors do you think that that's um, going to become the norm even in suburban schools I think we're going to have to go in that direction Metal detectors um, are, are a really good asset. There now have new types of metal detectors where you don't have to wand the person, where you have two tall pillars of electronic 
that can detect hidden guns, weapons of all shapes and sizes. And you can have many people walk between these two electronic pillars. They're gonna be using those at airports. They're gonna be using them in schools, churches, and businesses. It's gonna make the people flow and the ability for many people to come in at once um, to be very uh, accurate and you won't have to have individuals stop and be wanted. So our electronics, our advancement in security is really taken off and we're gonna be able to offer uh, what I call convenient but very accurate security monitoring for not only schools, but many places. Yeah, I know we are, we're seeing church shootings, we're seeing places in shopping centers, the grocery store. Is there a way, or do you see technology moving in a way where the uh, security procedures are more discreet? Because also as a parent and as a citizen, if I had to walk into a grocery store and I'm going through metal detectors, even though it's for safety, it does kind of put in the back of your mind, uh, am I safe here? Am I not safe here? What What's happening? So is there... Do you think that, that we're going, is that just gonna become the norm? Are we seeing more discreet ways? Are there more discreet ways, especially when it comes to kids to keep them safe without having an imposing system in place? Yeah, um, some of the new modern technology is gonna make it very easy to have a wide area where kids just walk in and I'm talking 20, 30, 50, 100, a couple hundred, just walk between a setup larger type of mechanisms that can detect weapons and different things without having to search or, or want anybody. So on one end, the ability for more modern technology to do it in a larger fashion with larger crowds, uh, that technology is here. Secondly, uh, I think people will sacrifice feeling a little odd uh, from technology or security in exchange for safety. When we started having lots of cameras out in the general public in downtowns and other shopping areas, there was a little bit of resistance, but as time went on and people realized that secures them and their family, just like technology can secure kids in a school, um, I think we're gonna get used to it. Uh, we're gonna actually demand it because we will, we will trade a little inconvenience for a greater secure area. Yeah. I want to talk about um, some of the red flags that some of these shooters have shown. I mean, we've learned that the latest Ramos in, um, in Texas, he never really had a history um, on social media of rants or getting involved in extremism. We're still learning about his history, but a lot of these shooters have had left a trail or left uh, manifestos what what kind of investigation needs to happen before something before they act it out and and you know what red flags do we look out for as a community and then my second question I guess that goes along with that if I call in to the police and say hey this person's acting weird and there's no criminal activity they can't really can they really do anything is there a monitoring system that goes into place if you can speak to that yeah well first most of the shooters the historical data that we have, I know my company, Sachs Consulting, we've researched over five, 600 uh, aggressive violence and shooting incidents. And in the majority of cases, 
it's not a secret. Uh, you know, shooters or aggressive people uh, who uh, have mental challenges, social, economic, uh, emotional challenges. The majority of the shooters, the majority of the high-level aggressive people, uh, they they talk about it. They put it out on social media. Uh, they write stuff. They tell their friends and family. They they don't keep it a secret. And a lot of times they're reaching out for help. It's a subliminal type of reach out. It's a sickness and that's part of the sickness. But in the majority of cases, these people are, are really expressing themselves to a lot of different people. And what we need is the eyes and ears that are out there across this country. When you hear that from a family member, a friend, a schoolmate or whatever, we a coworker we need we need to start reporting that to the authorities to the management to to the uh, uh, different people at the different levels and that's our greatest tool is because most of the time it's not a secret now it's not a perfect system either are there times where really they don't say much and there isn't very many red flags and yeah that happens it's on the minor side but it does happen. And that's when you got to depend on your security protocols to be able to stop them and the ones that have broadcast that uh, they are, you know, interested in some type of aggressive or deadly action. Yeah. So if I do call and I say, hey, or I, you know, contact whether it's federal or local or state level law enforcement and say this person I'm, you know, is doing, I don't even, I can't even think of an example, or I saw them write something on Facebook, it's concerning me, and and they say, okay, we'll look into it, is there, do you think that there is a file, I mean, is it worth calling, or is that, does it go into a file and, and never really looked at again? Well, more and more, uh, from the federal side to the local, and the police, and state police, they're creating databases with names in it, and when people call in, even if it's an insignificant thing, they're calling in what we're doing and we need to do a better job, but we're going in this direction is a national type and a statewide type of database where you get these little clues or hints or red flags or reports and you're able to enter them into a data system. Well, all of a sudden that data system links that one complaint with the same person who has eight other complaints or people have called in suspicious behavior or have talked to them and they've expressed some aggressive behavior, wishes and wants. So as time goes on, we're gonna be able to create these databases that are gonna help crisscross this kind of thing. And, and it's gonna be a tremendous tool. Um, and it's just another, another tool in the toolbox to prevent these kind of things. The more that we can do and the more different types of things we can do from proactive to reactive, uh, the better chances we have. And I will say there is a lot of aggressive people with aggressive actions and intentions who have been stopped. One of the things is we just don't hear about it. Uh, the media doesn't get that information and a lot of it is kept confidential. But I can tell you from being in law enforcement and, and now involved in 
security across this country, there is a lot of aggressive behavior that is being discovered and stopped just from simple contribution by citizens. That's amazing. So would you say finally, I, I know we have to wrap up here, um, social media, part of me wonders, is it making it worse because people have a platform, they get attention, they, these actions that they do are paid attention to, or is it making it easier for law enforcement and citizens to identify who may be an issue because they are pouring their guts out over social media? Social media is a double-edged sword, okay? On one end, people are expressing themselves, their intentions on social media. What gives us the ability to monitor social media and look for those trigger words, those keywords that could lead us to that person and prevent it. So on one end, yes, it's, it's a great filter. It's a great red flag type of uh, discovery. But on the other end, the publicity that shooters and aggressive action gets on social media is a strong, dangerous thing that's going on because those that are uh, hurting mentally, emotionally, socially, you know, they, they get the media, they get the social media and they see the glorification of the shooters and the aggressors. We need to quit showing the shooters or the aggressors pictures and we need to quit saying their names. We need to refer to them by their initials and we don't need to be showing their faces at all. The glorification of aggressive behavior on social media is a huge, a huge stimulus to future aggressors and shooters. And we know that because in their manifestos, their diaries, and in their conversations, and in the social media, they talk a lot about the previous uh, shooters, killers, and they talk about the most successful ones. And in their book, how many people those previous killers or shooters got to is what they base it on. So glorification needs to end. Yeah, it, it's just, it's heartbreaking. Tim, thank you so much. This was, this was wonderful to get a chance to talk to you and, and pick your brain about this. We could probably go on and on and hopefully we're, we don't keep talking about this, but um, I appreciate your insight. Thank you so much. Thank you. And our hearts and prayers go out to the families and the victims.
okay, we, we need this bomb threat. Do you think, <laughs> you know, we should enforce this? Yes. <laughs> you know, call. Uh, what should we do? And right. and, and we called and, and reported it, and um, the bomb squad came out and, you know, made sure that we were all secure. Mm-hmm. Now, the person who put the threat in lived, like, an hour away from me. Yeah. But it's like I'm taking everything serious right now. Right. And the thing is, is can there be prosecution for people who make those threats on um, social media and things like that to discourage people from doing that? You know, when people call in uh, school threats kids, mm-hmm. they're arrested for those things. Yeah. So hopefully more people will just not turn a blind eye now because we have to pay attention to all the kind of odd posts that yeah. are on social media. I think this is going to bring up not only gun reform legislation. I mean, there's going to be a, a hot debate. There already is on Capitol Hill about about guns and gun safety, but then also with social media regulation. And I've had a lot of conversations, especially over the past couple of years, with a lot of hot-button issues, whether it was COVID or, you know, lately abortion, now it's going to be gun safety, um, now threats. And a lot of people will say, well, free speech. Well, they're protected under free speech. And we have to keep in mind, a lot of these social media sites, like Facebook is a, is a company. Mm-hmm. A private company. It's a company. company. Mm-hmm. Like, if think about if, if it was a restaurant and they had no shirt, no shoes, no service, that's their policy. So um, I- if you violate that policy, you're not allowed to come in. So I think a lot of these, um, these social media sites, and I'm talking about the offshoot social media sites as well, some of these random ones, that we saw the Buffalo shooter posting and ranting on, uh, that's going to have to be more regulated. And, and, and the dark web, that's what, the what dark they call web, that, the yes. dark web, where um, those yeah. ideas are bandied around and mm-hmm. engaged yeah. in. Because that has to, I think we're going to start to see, um, I mean, we're already seeing it, where that can be a dangerous place for people to, like I said, be radicalized because you're they're in this world and getting support from people who might feel the same way and right. then and then somebody might catch them um, but again I don't know about you but when I start to think about I mean my kids are my oldest is in second grade just finishing up second grade and I'm sure I'm going to go through years and grades of school and then I feel bad because I feel like I'm gonna look at the class and be like okay which one has the potential like mm. is there one that has the potential like who's Who's getting bullied, and um, who's that outlier that has the potential to be a powder keg? Mm-hmm. I don't want to look at children in that way. Right, right. But l- the other underlying common denominator with a lot of these shooters, ma- mass shooters, is somebody who did feel like they weren't they uh, were supported by the, uh, they were isolated, weren't mm-hmm. supported by the community, bullied, um, and that led to mental health issues. And so do you say something in that in that case? Do you watch kids who are bullied and isolated? What can schools do as well to say, hey, this kid, you know, this one kid just being quiet and do we need to get more mental health help for some people? So I talk with my husband a lot about, you know, the shooting because he's very passionate about the shootings. And, you know, they there are a number of supports there. And depending on the school district, we're not sure what's going on at home mm-hmm. because a lot of the time 
it's not the school, it's what's going on at home. home. Yes. And it's you're trying to take government, you're trying to get in contact with the parents and they may not be available. Mm -hmm. They may be working. You know that the uh, shooter in um, the Texas case, his mother was um, got kicked out of the house, and there was drug issues in the family, and, and things like that. And so, you know, when you have all of this outside environment, and she was also truant, and mm -hmm. so they're like, oh, you know, as a teacher, you can only do so much, and you don't want to label kids because what if you label the wrong child mm -hmm. and as a daughter and having a daughter and son that are african-american mm -hmm. we're really in you know in a diverse neighborhood but it's like we are very high alert on making sure that our child is not labeled like maybe you know our daughter is very confident and she's a darker skin and research has shown that you know they get labeled as aggressive mm -hmm. or a bully and so we're fighting that so it's it's you it's, right. it's a really Sticky line because yes, you want to be proactive. Yeah. But as the so I see it from the teacher side, but on the parent side, you're like, wait a minute, hold up. Right. I don't want my child to be labeled that way. Like yes. if that's your child, but you're like, oh, I wonder if they're the and next right. shooter. Exactly. Like nobody wants to look at a child that way. And that's that was an, a question you know that was when I was talking to Jamie. It's like you don't want to be that person who says, hey, this this child. Because, I mean, a lot of them are children. I mean, they're still teens. Is this teen a problem? Right. Like, uh, it, you're in this weird spot of, like, do I say something? Do I not say something? And then and you have to wonder, too, like, how much involvement are the other parents mm -hmm. um, involved in this situation? Like, I, again, um, different reporting on uh, the, the mass shooter and other students that went to the high school. They're like, no, he wasn't bullied. He just... You know, he tried to bully different people, and so there's different perspectives yes. on that. And so you wonder if maybe other parents will come and say, hey, is everything going on? And so even with, you know, my children in particular, they're young, and so they have issues. They, mm -hmm. you know, have um, altercations with their peers, mm -hmm. and I'm the first one to go, okay, come here. You yes. know, knock on the door yes. and talk to the parents or talk to the school, bring those things in when it's appropriate, whether it's at a dance, whether it's a, hey, I want to talk to the parent. I, you know, I want all of us to get together so that we can clear those things up. And so I don't know how other parents, you know, interact with that, but that's our philosophy is yes. that we make sure to be involved not only with our children, but the children that are in their circle and their parents as well. Right. That's a great point that you mentioned. Um, no matter what, I think that this, and I'm hoping, I'm hoping on this one, that this shooting is the one. I'm hoping that this one is the one that makes everybody stand up and say, we want change, whether it's... We said that about Sandy Hook. I know we did. I know. And we I said still... said about Sandy Hook. I, it's haunting. I don't know what it is about this one where I don't know if it's because we've had so many in a row. I don't know if it's because this is like the second elementary school shooting that just makes it so sticky. But I'm really hoping that no matter what what particular issue you're taking on, whether it is you feel a certain way about gun control, whether it is you feel a certain way about mental health and, and advocating for a child in a community, I think it's up to us parents to stand up and say, we don't want this for our 
okay, we don't want another school shooting like this. What can we do to make sure that that our schools are safe, that our kids are mentally healthy, and that mm -hmm. they're in safe environments, whether it's at home or in the school? I think that that's, I don't want to see that. I don't want the news cycle to happen, and we're on to the next issue within two weeks, and this is just a, a horrible, tragic moment. I do not want to see that. And it's a cliche, but it does take a village. Mm -hmm. The entire yeah. kids and students and everything, because you know, you think about trauma that we've all been through these past two years with the pandemic and social unrest, and now we're in inflation. I mean, households are struggling. And you're not, you don't know how the kids are coping. We're, we all know that studies have shown that the kids are not faring well mentally because of the pandemic. And so maybe we need to move away from, oh, this is my house, me and my house, and I'm good. Let's right. start moving back to more being in community, checking in on one another. On one another, I know that's hard because we're so used to nope. I'm distanced. Right. I need to <laughs> keep my distance from what's over. But we do have to start paying attention um, to the children in our neighborhood, in our schools, and year round that we put the effort to do. Well, we are going to keep this conversation going. Danielle, thank you so much. You've been so insightful. I really appreciate you. I appreciate you having me. And thanks to all of you for tuning in to the Mom Squad Pod. We'll see you right back here next week. Thanks for listening to Mom Squad Pod with Maureen Kyle from WKYC Studios. Subscribe now so you never miss an update. And find more on everything you heard here on WKYC.com and on the WKYC app.